the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. 6025080960 is our number. Anthony Fauci. When you said on NBC that we should not wear masks and that they could actually make things worse, which is what you said, did the science change on that or did you have a hidden agenda having to do with supply or other reasons? And if you did have a different agenda, was that not lying to the American people about science and your expertise? If you didn't lie, will you show us the science you were basing your statements on that we should not wear masks and the science that changed your recommendations? There's a second part to that. When you told us herd immunity would be 70 percent, then 80 percent, then pushing into 90 percent, and that the reason for your changing those numbers was never based on science, but rather that the American people weren't ready for the real answer, which is what you said. Will you, on a going forward basis, let us know when your recommendations are science-based or based on your judgment of the maturity of the American people? There's a third part to this question. Why did you take down the hospitalization and mortality numbers from breakthrough infections, infections from people who were vaccinated? They were helpful in understanding things. And will you repost them ever? Optional sub-question four. Will you ever address natural or pre-existing immunity and its benefits over and against vaccines? Second category, critical race theory. You say it's only taught in law schools. Can you tell us what it is that is taught in law schools? And how do you know that it is taught in law schools exclusively? Did you go to law school? Have you taken a course in it? Have you read a textbook on it? Two, are you aware that the National Education Association, representing millions of elementary and secondary school teachers as their largest union, passed a resolution in July of this year that reads exactly this, quote, the National Education Association, in coordination with national partners, NEA, state and local affiliates, racial justice advocates, allies, and community activists, shall build powerful education communities and continue our work together to eradicate institutional racism in our public school system by increasing the implementation of culturally responsive education, critical race theory, and ethnic native people, Asian, black, Latino, OAX, Middle Eastern, and North African and Pacific Islander studies curriculum in pre-K-12 and higher education. They put it right there in their resolution. Part three to this. Does this story, quoting from City Journal magazine, bother you at all? Quoting directly, a Philadelphia elementary school recently forced fifth grade students to celebrate black communism and simulate a black power rally in honor of political radical Angela Davis. According to whistleblower documents and a source within the school, a fifth grade teacher at the inner city William D. Kelly School 
designed a social studies curriculum to celebrate Davis, praising the black communist for her fight against injustice and inequality. As part of the lesson, the teacher asked students to describe Davis's early life, reflect on her vision of social change, and define communist in presumably favorable terms. At the conclusion of the unit, the teacher led the 10- and 11-year-old students into the school auditorium to simulate a black power rally to free Angela Davis from prison, where she had once been while awaiting trial on charges of conspiracy, kidnapping, and murder. The students marched on the stage holding signs that read black power, jail Trump, free Angela, and black power matters. They chanted about Africa and ancestral power and then shouted free Angela, free Angela, as they stood at the front of the stage. Extra credit part four to this question. Does it bother you that that very school by sixth grade, only 3% of students are proficient in math? and 9% proficient in reading. By graduation, only 13% of the students at the Kelly School have achieved basic literacy. And if that's hard for you, option five, do you know what Angela Davis, what Angela Davis was put in jail for? And would it move you to know she owned the guns used in the commission of the killing of a judge and was arrested for aggravated kidnapping and first-degree murder in the death of that judge? Section 3, Afghanistan. It was America's longest war. One, do you think you were told the truth about our exit? Two, did it bother you that we didn't know how many Americans were left behind, even though Joe Biden promised on August 16th in an interview with George Stephanopoulos that none would be, and that as of today, we still don't know if the number is in the hundreds or in the thousands? Subpart three, do you believe Joe Biden made us safer? honored the sacrifices of those who served there and told us the truth about Afghanistan? Extra credit question number four. Who was more right about our leaving Afghanistan? Joe Biden, when he said our evacuation was, quote, an extraordinary success, close quote. Or Osama bin Laden in his prediction that Americans can only fight short wars but will cut and run when the going gets tough, as they did in Beirut and Somalia. Four. Race. Question one. In June of 2020, at the height of COVID worry and concern, shutdowns, closings, etc., there were uncountable numbers of protests and riots over race in America. 1,200 scientists wrote a public letter that read this way, quote, As public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID-19 transmission. We Support them as vital to the national public health and to the threatened health specifically of black people in the United States. We can show that support by facilitating safest protesting practices without detracting from demonstrators' ability to gather and demand change. This should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-home orders. Do you understand that? 1,200 scientists signed a letter that said if you're protesting for Black Lives Matter, it's okay. If you're protesting against the mediation strategies of COVID, it's not. Was that based on science or political science? 
and was it responsible? Second element to this question, currently the National Museum of African American Culture and History, a part of the Smithsonian, receiving over $1 billion of your tax dollars every year, has an exhibit currently titled Whiteness. When it debuted a year ago, it posted a chart on how to know if someone was behaving or acting white, with examples being Christianity, doing homework, engaging in work before play, and other absurdities that have nothing to do with race, any more than Reverend Al Sharpton, Reverend Jesse Jackson, or Reverend Martin Luther King had to do with being white because they attended a Christian church. Well, the Smithsonian took that chart down but replaced it with what it calls examples of white privilege. Did you know that, or did you just know that they took the chart down? Those examples include, quote, I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. Those are just two of the examples of white privilege. Do you know a black person or a person of any minority status that has been harassed because of their race for going shopping or anything, any reason? Do you know any white people who actually wish to be in the company of people of their own race? That's what they're saying is a tribute of whiteness. How many of you who are Caucasian actually believe that, that you wish to be in the company of people of your own race? I know of none. Third part to this question. Two white students were thrown out of a multicultural center at ASU earlier this year. They were thrown out by two black students. Is that okay? Would it be okay if there were parts of ASU where white students threw people of color out of other buildings? If the answer is, well, of course not, because whites are a majority, so is it, it isn't the same thing, then the question is, would it be okay at Howard University or any historically, historically black college or the University of Washington, D.C., or any city or country where blacks are and whites are not the majority. Extra question number four. What does someone's race actually tell you about a person that you do not know? If they are white, I get you may say you may know because of the curriculum outlined above. But what if they are black? In other words, if you prefer this as extra credit, then this. Is it okay to judge some people by their race but not others? Five, Joe Biden promised to, among other things, heal this nation, build it back better. Can you name me one single thing he has made better? If it helps, categories can include COVID, employment, cost of living, immigration, national security, divisions within the populace, budget deficits, energy independence. But feel free to use your own category if you prefer. Six. Do you think it's okay for children in first through seventh grade to be sexually active? If the answer is no, is it okay that there are uncountable books written for children as young as the age of four and dozens of organizations recommending these books, advocating the normalcy of children changing their, their gender, their sex? The first organization that pops up on a Google search has two pages of books under the headline, quote, Best Diverse Children's Books with Transgender, Non-Binary, and Gender Expansive Characters. 
its recommended grades are pre-K to second grade and grades five through seven. If you don't think children are ready to be sexually aware or mature or active at those ages, why would it be okay to have books teaching and recommending these very things? And finally, seven. Do you believe in the First Amendment, especially freedom of speech? And if so, should conservatives have exactly the same free speech rights as liberals? Should Republicans have the exact same free free speech rights as Democrats? If so, when is the last time you said something about a conservative who was censored online, on campus, or anywhere else? If not, what do you believe the First Amendment was meant to protect? Do you believe McCarthyism was a bad thing? And if so, was it because it was anti-communist or because it shamed and blacklisted and censored people suspected of being a communist? If the latter, is it okay to shame and blacklist and censor people who hate, dislike, or speak out against communism or anything else? I'm happy to add to these questions. These are my first seven. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, the jury has just come back uh, guilty, 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 five counts for Jelaine Maxwell, the uh, partner in uh, all senses of that word of the uh, predator Jeffrey Epstein. I had uh, made mention yesterday that there's something wrong with a culture that spends more time on odd cases that probably involve validity more than volition, such as the Kim Potter case that include probably uh, the Rittenhouse case and in some respects, though a little different, the Ahmed Arbery case, a country that spends more time on those cases and more attention on those than what Jelaine Maxwell was being tried for. Ask yourself, how much have you heard until today about the Jelaine Maxwell trial? It's been almost a media blackout, hasn't it? You've heard almost nothing about it, have you? Could it be? Could it be that because Jeffrey Epstein's friends and colleagues and Jelaine Maxwell's by relation were almost exclusively prominent liberals? Could it be that? I mean, we're talking one of the Pritzkers. We're talking Bill Clinton. We're talking George Mitchell, former majority leader of the Senate. Uh, who was one of Bill Clinton's lawyers during impeachment. Uh, The list goes on and on. Of course, Prince Andrew. Who knows how many others? And are you satisfied? Are you resting easy knowing that we know that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide? Not unless you, of course, have 
some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell someone. It just says something what our attention is focused on. And it seems the last thing it's focused on, the last thing, is the protection of our youth. Though it's the first thing liberals will cry about in their political speeches and stump speeches as the animating factor for their candidacies and for their platforms. You can hear Nancy Pelosi talk about them all the time. The policies, whether COVID, whether the excusing of this, don't come anywhere near close to matching their rhetoric. Not even close. Not even close. And by the way, by the way, I just listed you three trials that got more attention. They include four dead people, sadly and tragically, all in between those three trials. Four dead people, tragically, awful. What if we we'll keep what, what what what's happened with Waukesha? Have you gotten an update on that? It was one incident where more people than all those three trials combined were killed. What have you heard about Waukesha? Where are the beating of breasts? Where are the marches for justice? Where's the coverage? Where's the media? Where's the president? Where's the vice president? Doesn't that tell you something about our culture, too? Yeah, it sure does. And it's not good, and it's not healthy, and it's not sane. And the weird thing about it is, the weird thing about it is, you know, I'm, 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 I'm privileged in that I get this microphone in a company that backs me up on it. The weird thing is most people feel cowed into not talking about it. The weird thing is most people feel embarrassed to raise it. Well, thank God for those of us who have these abilities to talk about it free of censorship and free of being censored as well as censured. Because I don't think anyone would be talking about it. I don't think anyone would be talking about it if it weren't for a few talk radio hosts here and there. Isn't it odd? If the killing matters, if the killing of a human being matters, why are we more concerned and more focused on the lesser number of killings than the larger number of killings? And by the way, if you want to call those racial incidents in Georgia, in the Potter case, I don't know how you do it in the Rittenhouse case, but you did it. If you want to call those racial incidents, Waukesha was also, by any definition, a racial incident. And there is a blackout on it. That's not a healthy culture either. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning, Grand Canyon Planning Associates. 
uh, Grand, Pla- Grand Canyon Planning dot com is his website. Also a radio uh, show host in his own right. He can be heard here also every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. with his own show, The Word on Wealth. J.D., how are you, sir? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And uh, just a small cultural thing I'm going to throw at you, knowing that you will know more about it than I will, no matter oh. how much you know. Because I felt badly coming into the studio learning that John Madden had passed away, and I don't know what to say. I, you know, I don't know much. I don't. I just don't know much about him. I know, you know, a little about him, but is, 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 is he? Was, he was a big cultural. He was a big cultural icon, wasn't he? He was in the world of uh, sports and in uh, football, obviously NFL and gaming, and, right? Uh, yeah. One, yeah, and gaming, yes. Yeah. And also, he was. Uh, I think as far as. Uh, the video games go. He yeah. has one of the most successful video games yeah. that was uh, put out. But as well, he was the like one of the most winning. Is it a winning winning yeah. in this? Yeah, win, most winning, winning. One of the coaches? most winning. Yeah, there's a dash in there somewhere. <laughs> You're right to do it that way. Yeah, no, there is a hyphen, but I think it is the yeah. most winning. Yeah. Yes, coach out there. Uh, so he's got a lot of. Uh, plus, he just was loved by so yeah. many in the industry. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you watch the Monday Night Football games with he and Pat Summerall, I mean, they were they were fun to watch and listen to the commentary. And he was uh, obviously a person that many people uh, talk very well about. Yeah. You don't really hear much negative about him, which is a, a, an interesting thing that this time in our history. Yeah, that is a good point. That's a really good point. There's not much negative to be said. And that's a big one because people love to be the gadflies. They love to take yes. the heroes down. They love to take the famous down. That's a really good point, John. I'm yeah. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad I asked you about it. I knew you'd know yeah. more about it than I did, and, and you did, and that's a good point. All right. Let me ask you about the economy. Yesterday you were talking about S&P records. Looks like we had another one, right? And Number 7-0. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Dow is the sixth day straight day up, yeah? Sixth straight day higher for the Dow Industrials. So uh, the NASDAQ pulled back slightly. And we talked yesterday about that fear index, which yeah. is the volatility index. And I'm just looking at that right now at volatility index down to uh, just under 17, Seth, down a little bit today, 3% down. But just going back as uh, close as uh, 30 days ago on 1129 of 2021, the volatility index was uh, in the 30 range. So uh, a substantial drop, uh, almost, you know, 40% drop in that. And we're seeing... Uh, all of the indexes moving higher with the S&P again squeaking out another all-time high. So we're seeing some real positivity for stocks, again, showing us this that this Santa Claus rally has some momentum. We're going to have to, of course, see we've got a short day of trading on Friday, and then the markets will reopen again on Monday, and we will see uh, if that rally continues into the new year. John, one of the big stories that I'm seeing – thank you for that. One of the big stories I'm seeing – Across the uh, economic pages, across the economic and business websites, is that 2022 is going to be a be a year where more than half the states are raising their minimum wage, but some employers are even right. doing it faster or higher. Mm-hmm. And we've talked right. a lot about this in the past and showing that you know cost of living may be one thing, but you know employers do suffer at a certain point with minimum wages that don't match cost of living and can't match uh, their productivity or sales or profits, uh, profit margins. 
And uh, I wonder if this is going to be um, just a short term, uh, a short term fix for a lot of them because they need employees that they're going to end up regretting in the future. I, I guess it's impossible to know under the Yogi Berra yeah. categorization of having to predict the future. But but I, it's just a thought that occurred to me. Is this a short-term fix they're going to regret later on? I don't know. It's worth asking, though, well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, you, unfortunately, we don't know the answer. You're right. But I would say this is that, uh, you know, they're in a, a little bit of a squeeze yeah. right now, right? Yeah. The employers, yeah. they have to have, uh, especially these manufacturers, Seth, because of the demand. Yeah. We need to get manufacturing uh, and production, again, moving. And once you know they uh, get those increases in salary and in their employees' costs, uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to you know pull that back. The only way they're going to be able to do that is probably at some point if they believe they're overstaffed. Yeah. Uh, that they would uh, you know if demand starts to fall, then there could be an area of time where uh, employees it may be an overemployment scenario for certain companies. But right now, I, I think that the real question is. Is, is we're seeing prices increase, and companies are going to have to increase, try to find ways to increase their profit margin. The only way they can do that is either to cut costs uh, or to raise prices. Yeah. So if they're going to be uh, you know, raising their expenses yeah. because of higher labor costs, yeah. then they're not going to be able to cut costs, so they're going to have to raise prices. And the question is, is will the demand be enough, and will the consumer be, you know, the appetite be enough to... Uh, allow these uh, manufacturers to raise prices, and at what point do they hit a uh, critical point to where they're going to have to uh, change direction and lower prices? We're going to have to just see what that demand is in the economy, what consumers are willing to pay for things, and ultimately that's going to drive a lot of this overall economic, uh, you know, recovery that we're trying to get through right now. It's going to be a tough time, but uh, we're going to have to just wait and see. I think you're right. It, it, there's no real defined answer to all of this and, and how long it's going to last. Thank you, John Dabrowski. You bet. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Client One Securities LLC, member of FINRA and TIPIC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Have a happy new year, everyone out there. You too, J.D. We'll talk next week. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Every Wednesday we check in with our Robert Jackson fellow, visiting fellow in constitutional studies. We'll just make him permanent. There's no reason to have him visiting anymore. He's made tenure. That's Brett W. Johnson, a partner here at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm. Brett, I hope you had a Merry Christmas, and it's a good opportunity to wish you a Happy New Year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Seth. You betcha, and congratulations on your tenure here. Uh, that, means, <laughs> that means you can't leave us. <laughs> Don't leave us high and dry. Speaking of high and dry, one of the things I wanted to ask you, there has been, obviously, everyone knows this, an outbreak uh, of, uh, of violence on uh, air travel, airplanes, domestic air flights more so than international and in fact, what a lot of people don't know is that can incur, and I believe the FBI, in fact, opened up some kind of investigation into some of these cases. What, is this a big issue we need to look at and think about? I think it is because it has a it has an implication on just travel and, yeah. and you know how how America and quite honestly the world is going to come out of uh, post COVID. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, there the numbers are staggering. Um, generally, there's about 250 incidents a year 
going back for about 20 years on on uh, airplanes. In 2021, it was over a thousand yeah. incidents of violence on on an airplane yeah. that the FBI has to investigate because they have restrictions. And a lot of people just don't understand. You know, when you go into an airport or you get on an airplane, you're now entering basically a federal yeah. enclave right. where the federal government basically right. controls everything. Right. And you have a lot of other restrictions, and, and, and they're able to enforce it. Plus, airplanes, just like ships, there's a captain of that airplane. Yep. That captain is, is, controlling, is controlling the plane. So it's going to be interesting how a lot of these different uh, um, cases unfold. But um, um, one, one thing that brings me back was pre-9-11, you might remember this, Seth, there was a, a patient, or a patient, uh, uh, um, a flyer's, uh, passengers bill of yeah, rights. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, I do. And, I do. But 9-11 happened. You know, flight uh, uh, participation went down. People were not traveling right. as much, and it kind of got shelved because yeah. of everything that was going on. It, it's a it's a balancing act, and I would be surprised if uh, if something did not come up in the next congressional session about both airlines' rights, passengers' bill of rights, and how people are treated. I don't know if you've traveled recently, but it's not always the most comfortable experience. Nope. Um, and and I so I do think that there's probably going to be a trend in this coming year. Boy, the first airline that puts one out some some bill of rights. I bet I bet they'll get good attention. Uh, very few of us, I would imagine, who are very serious about constitutional matters and limiting the federal rule. I would val- I would I would guess that very few of us have much tolerance for this kind of violence. I certainly don't, and I have no problem with prosecuting these people to the full extent. I mean, it is just un necessary. It is unruly. It is anarchy. And my God, things are tough enough on these airline uh, employees right now, as well as the rest of the passengers. Absolutely. Especially between people not showing up for their shifts and people having to do double shifts on top of it. But keep in mind, uh, a lot of people, during the CARES Act, the penalty, the baseline penalty was raised to $37,500 for an incident. So not only do you face jail time, you're facing a pretty good penalty. And and guess what? You're not getting miles on that (laughs) $37,000 penalty. That's a good point. Do me a favor. Give us an update, uh, Brett. Thank you for that. Give us an update uh, on uh, where we stand on the OSHA mandates, the administration mandates on vaccines and that sort of thing. It's supposed to be in front of the Supreme Court very soon, right? Very soon. Um, so the Supreme Court did something it hasn't done since 1970, which it consolidated two cases, one dealing with the health care practitioners and whether or not they can be mandated to be vaccinated by the Center for Medical Services, which mm-hmm. is basically Medicaid, Medicare, right, right. Um, as well as the OSHA mandate that 100-plus employees, you have to get vaccinated. Multiple states had um, uh, obviously appealed the decisions uh, for the OSHA one. If, if you will recall, the Fifth Circuit put it yep. on hold. The Sixth Circuit then got selected and overturned the Fifth Circuit. Yep. So that was kind of an easy one. And then for the um, the CMS mandate, same thing, um, it has been now appealed up. The one thing for sure that has not been appealed, ironically, is the government contractor mandate. Right. The 11th right. Circuit um, upheld that stay. So, so that is not going to be in effect. And that's still going to have ripple effects no matter what the Supreme Court has done. But there's going to be two hours of oral argument, one hour for each of the cases, and it is, you know, um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh could have done this himself, issued the stay, 
very unique to um, refer it to the entire court. Last time, I've, I know that they did it for sure, was actually one of my cases, the, the ballot harvesting case, where um, at that time Justice Kennedy referred it to the entire court, and the court came back in eight hours and, and stayed the Ninth Circuit decision in that case. So the fact that they're having oral argument on this, basically it's coming to a head. And what the real issue is, just want to make sure everybody understands, is whether or not the executive, the president, um, as well as the agencies, um, exceeded their statutory authority by issuing these mandates, because Congress definitely did not envision this type of mandate when it was creating OSHA and creating CMS. And so it goes to what's called a non-delegation authority argument and whether or not those agencies acted outside of their constitutional authority. Brett, if I were if I were sitting on the Supreme Court or if you were, would it be a legitimate question to ask the government attorneys? Um, would it be a legitimate question to ask them or for that matter, would it have been something uh, that uh, let's say my side would have put in a brief if Joe Biden had said three weeks ago what he said on Monday? Is it a legitimate question for them to ask the government attorneys now that Joe Biden has said there is no federal solution that gets solved at the state level? Or is that just kind of political and not ever really pertinent to these kinds of cases no. at this level? No, I think it is pertinent, especially because since COVID has happened, the majority of these cases, you have to remember, have always happened at the state level. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going against the governors. Yeah. And that's appropriate because the states have the police power, the health power that we've talked about before to basically institute vaccinations or other mass. Oh, this was day one when you visited with us on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was our first interview was on this point. Right, yeah. Right. And so the fact that the courts have evaluated those cases only highlights the basically overreach from the federal government in these two areas. Basically, the court has been clear for 100 years that these are state issues and should be handled at the state. So the fact that the president says something of that nature or, um, in addition, waited so long. Mm -hmm. Remember, if an emergency is really an emergency, you act now. You don't forecast it to January 10th of mm-hmm. 2022 to go implement it, it gets implemented now. So both those things are going to be tough for the federal government to overcome. Brett Johnson, thank you, sir. Again, I hope you had a Merry Christmas, and we'll wish you a very Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody. Brett W. Johnson, partner at Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com, great firm. Uh, I know it uh, well. <laughs> I have uh, made use of it, and they have uh, represented me very, very well over the years. And uh, can't say enough about them or Brett. Until next week, Brett Johnson, uh, Godspeed, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Folks, we've got a big treat for you coming up in the next hour. Congressman David Schweikert, as threatened as promised, <laughs> is in the house. He'll be joining us. promise, yeah. one or the yeah. other. You hear that laughter. He'll be, he's on deck. He's going to be joining us shortly. I just wanted to lay down one more marker because I can't get off this story. Uh, the Surgeon General made some news last week, and you're seeing stories just a little bit here and there about the mental health consequences to our youth. 
um, that have been staggering uh, over the course of the last two years, over the course of school closings, over the course of um, children's parents being put out of work, over the COVID mediation strategies. There's another story out today a friend of mine uh, sent I want to recommend uh, to you if you go to LegalInsurrection.com. COVID school closures have caused alarming mental health declines evidenced by depression and suicide attempts. You know these numbers if you listen to this show regularly. The only point I want to make as a matter of public policy, and I'm sure David may want to say something about this in a general sense in our next hour too, but the only point I want to make is all of this, all of it, every part of it was preventable. Every single part of it was preventable. We were talking about it in March and April of last year. I'll retell the story. There was a assistant secretary for health and human services in the Trump administration. She had a Ph.D. in psychology and an M.D. in epidemiology, maybe the most well-credentialed person to talk about this. And she gave a speech uh, in April of last year on the mental health consequences we would face if we closed schools and disrupted children's lives the way we then proceeded to do. I used to put my monologues up on YouTube. YouTube started taking them down and censoring them when I would talk about these things. When we finally got to someone at YouTube, they said, well, we only allow government authorities and sources in talking about COVID. So I read her speech verbatim and saying so. It was one of my monologues. The Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, MD, PhD, Dr. Eileen McCants-Gatz. And guess what YouTube did? They took it down. Folks, follow the serious people. Listen to the serious people. Check your facts and realize that this, I don't know if you want to call it second pandemic of mental health crisis that we are now facing, again, like so many other things, tragically, like Winston Churchill said of World War II, preventable. I'm Seth Liebson, David Schweikert in the house. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 